Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is uh, the third message in the Believe series. Uh, it's a five-part series. We started out uh, with Believe in God, uh, but we ended up saying that while that's a good thing and a crucial thing, it's not enough. Even the devils believe in God. They even believe in one God and tremble, so it's not enough. So last week, we took the, the essential step of saying also that we need to believe in Jesus. And today, I want us to look at the Bible. Believe in the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, Paul's words to Timothy in the last recorded letter that Paul wrote. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from an infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to notice that there are, are at least four very important truths that Paul tells Timothy about the Scriptures here. The first truth is that the Scriptures are inspired by God. King James translates that word in verse 16, all Scripture is inspired of God. Inspired is a combination, a compound Greek word, theos and noustos. Uh, theos is the Greek word for God. Noustos is the word for breathed. And therefore, inspired means God breathed. The scriptures are inspired by God, and it, it, is, it is God's inspiration of the scriptures that make them God's word. The second thing in this, uh, these verses that Paul tells Timothy is that the Scriptures show us the way to salvation. Uh, verse 15, from an infancy, Timothy, you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It is the Scriptures, that the Word of God, that teach us uh, about our sinfulness and that teach us uh, that what we need, what needs to occur, what, what needed to occur, both on God's part and now on our part for us to receive salvation. The third fact that Paul gives Timothy is that these scriptures are essential for spiritual growth. He says all scripture, verse 16, is God-breathed and, and it's useful for teaching it's useful for rebuking, it's useful for correcting, and it is useful for training in righteousness. It is impossible, I think, to grow spiritually 
divorced from the Word of God. The Scriptures are absolutely essential if we want to grow spiritually. And then the fourth thing that he tells Timothy is that these same Scriptures equip us to do good work. Verse 17, you study the Scriptures so that the servant of God, that's all of us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there are four very important truths that Paul gives Timothy about the Scriptures. Now, uh, Paul here is speaking about the Old Testament Scriptures. We need to remember that because at the time Paul wrote this letter, which would have been somewhere in the year uh, 64 A.D., 34 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, although there were some of the letters of Paul that had been written, there were none of the Gospels that had been written, the Revelation had not been written, uh, none of the, most of the little letters in the New Testament had not been written, so we didn't have the New Testament. So when Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed, he's referring to the Old Testament Scriptures because that's all they had. Now, since about the uh, late second, early third century, the Christian church has lumped the 27 books of the New Testament into what we call the canon of Scripture. They were recognized as having been touched by God, inspired by God, in addition to the Old Testament Scriptures, so that now when we read Paul saying that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for all these things, we, unlike Paul, also include the New Testament along with the Old Testament in those statements. But when we talk about the Bible, uh, there are some things that we need, I think, to discuss that we aren't discussing for the most part. And I want to share these things with you. There are, uh, I call this the forest and the trees analogy. And, and if, if the Bible itself is a forest and each individual verse or couple of verses or passage or story in the Bible is like a tree. So the Bible is a forest, the individual sections of the Bible, passages are like trees. I want you to look at this idea of the forest and the trees, and I want to say a few things about the Bible that I think, uh, and, and, and not to say that what I'm about to say is equal to what Paul said, never, ever, ever, never. You've heard me say before when I get up to read Scripture, I'm about to say something to you. I'm about to read Scripture. I get through the Scripture and, and I realize that nothing I'm about to say equals what I just read. Okay? Because I'm not God and, and I, I don't speak on the level of God's Word. But here's some things I want to say. The first thing I want you to hear me say is this. Beware of the way the Pharisees viewed Scripture. When we look at the Bible and we believe the Bible and we believe in the Bible and we reverence the Bible, we need to be careful not to interpret the Bible, not to look at the Bible in the way the Pharisees did. Now, the Pharisees were the fundamentalists of the first century. They were 
uh, what you call the Bible thumpers, I guess. There's, not nothing, there's nothing wrong with a Bible thumper, but uh, they were the Bible thumpers. They were the ones who believed in every word of the Old Testament. And, and for that, uh, they uh, should be admired and, and appreciated. But keep in mind, they were the fundamentalists of the first century, and they were the ones, and they were the only ones, really, who gave Jesus fits. More than the adulterers, more than the drunkards, more than the tax collectors, Jesus would go hang out with them, even chose some of them. But it was the fundamentalists that Jesus had the most problems with throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, it, but it wasn't, his, it wasn't their view of the Scriptures themselves that he had a problem with, but the, the Pharisees believed that not only were the Scriptures inspired of God, but they believed that their own interpretations of the Scriptures were equally inspired of God. And so when the Pharisees would teach in the synagogues, the Pharisees had control of all the synagogues that dotted the Holy Land, and they would teach, not only would they read the Holy Scriptures from the Old Testament that they had, but they would also read the recorded interpretations they had, and they treated them as equal to the Scriptures themselves. Now, I would love to say to us that we don't do that anymore. But the fact of the matter is, we probably do it more today than the Pharisees did in their day. We may not even realize it. I've done it. I, I'll just admit to you, I've done it. There, there have been times when I, I wouldn't say that my interpretation of a, or my understanding of a certain passage of Scripture is equal to God's Word, but I treat it as if it is, and that's a mistake. Because while God's Word is inspired of God, your and my understanding or our interpretations of individual passages are not inspired by God. And we should not treat them as inspired by God. I'm not saying they're not important. They are important. I mean, I mean, we can't help but to read and study the Bible and come away with a certain understanding all of us will have, most of us will have different understandings of what a certain passage reads, but, but, but the fact that the Bible is inspired does not guarantee that our interpretations of a certain passage are equally inspired. They're not. Believe in the Bible. Believe in your interpretations, but do not believe in your interpretations as equal to your belief in the Bible. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say that's related to that is that Christians who love the Bible, and I'm talking about are devoted to the Bible, love the Bible equally, committed Christians can interpret the same Scripture passage differently. I mean, we can take the same passage, you can take four people, for instance, four committed people, four devoted Christians, four every Sunday church goers and Sunday school goers, four people who, who, if you were to ask them, what do you think about the Bible? Do you believe it is without, do you believe it's God inspired? Yes. Do you believe that it's without error? All four of them would say yes. But those four people can take a single passage and you can choose any from hundreds of passages in the, in the Bible and they will interpret them differently. Let me give you a case in point. And, and I'm not going to give you all the cases in point. That would take us years. But here's just one case in point. Let's take Genesis chapter 1. Now, if you've studied the Bible at all, you know that Genesis chapter 1 
Very beautiful chapter, very essential chapter in God's Word. It is a chapter that uh, different people who love the Bible interpret in different ways. Uh, no lover of the Bible would say that Genesis 1 is not inspired scripture. Every lover of the Bible would say that every chapter of the Bible is inspired scripture and, and, and worth reading and studying. But in Genesis chapter 1, you can take four devoted believers in the Bible, and, and it, is, it is quite common to have four different understandings of Genesis chapter 1. You know Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And you go through that whole chapter, and, and as you know, we see six uh, days of creation. The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. And you go all the way through the six days of creation. And then, on the sixth day, he creates man. And on the seventh day... He rests, all right? It's a very simple chapter to read. Well, there are four different understandings. There is uh, the first understanding that this person A would have, and that is that those days, the word day there stands for 24-hour days, and that therefore creation was, was done by God in six days, and that uh, it was six 24-hour days, and that's the understanding. I would say that's probably... A very common understanding among a lot of Christians, but you have person A who believes that. Then you have person B. Person B loves the Bible. Person B says the Bible is, has no mixture of error. But person B, looking at that chapter, looks at the word day. By the way, it's the Hebrew word yom. The Hebrew word yom is very much like our English word day. I could tell you that three days ago, I got to see my grandbaby. I could tell you that. And you would know that by three days ago, I'm talking about three 24-hour periods, right? Three days ago. On the other hand, if I said to you, well, in my grandfather's day, did you hear that? In my grandfather's day, things were different. Well, is that a 24-hour day when I say day there? Back in, Annie, in the antebellum day, see... The, our English word day sometimes mean tw means 24 hours, sometimes means a, an indefinite period that's longer than 24 hours. And the same thing is true of the Hebrew word yom. It can mean a 24-hour day. It can mean a, an indefinite period of time. It can mean also an era of time. And so person B, who also loves the Bible, views uh, those six days including the seventh day as not 24-hour days, but eras and eras of time. So you can see that two people who view the Bible as without error and as inspired by God view that chapter very differently. And I have seen people who stop fellowship with each other because they didn't agree on those two interpretations. There's a third one who says that Genesis 1 is, is Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry is very hard to recognize and identify because it doesn't have rhyming words like most of our English poetry does. Uh, our English poetry, you know, hickory dickory dock, the mouse run up the clock, the, the clock struck one and down he'd come, down he'd run, hickory dickory dock, goosey goosey gander, whether dost thou wonder, upstairs and downstairs and in my lady's chamber, there I met an old man who wouldn't say his prayers, I took him by the left leg and threw him down the stairs, you know. 
sunset and evening star, one clear call for me. May there be no moaning of the bar when I put out to sea. You see, rhyming words in English poetry. Hebrew poetry, however, didn't have rhyming words. It had rhythm. It had, it had a certain kind of boom, 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 boom. And so uh, the third person here also loves the Bible, believes it's without error, but sees Genesis 1 as poetry. And Hebrew poetry is meant to be seen not literally, but symbolically or figuratively. And so you have these first three people, all committed to the Bible, don't agree on the meaning of... And then you have person number four, who uh, looks at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and believes that between verse number 1 and verse number 2, there is a gap of an indefinite period of time that the Bible doesn't address, and that that gap explains what some scientists referred to as the, the age, the long old age of the earth. There's disagreement on the age of the earth. My point here is not to agree with either of these four, although I would imagine that all of us here who thought about it agree with one of the four. But my point here is to say this, you have four different people all of four believe in the inspiration of the Bible. All four of them believe in, in that the Bible is, is uh, uh, without error. But these four people disagree in their understanding and their interpretation of Genesis 1. Which one is right? Technically, we don't know. But what is really bad is we, we, we can be so obsessed with Genesis 1. I know some people who only, only deal with Genesis 1. I know some other people who only deal with the book of Revelation in the end of time. It's really quite interesting that, that the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible are probably the two most controversial books of the Bible when it comes to differing interpretations and people falling out of fellowship with other people over, over disagreeing over what the, the first book and the, and the last book mean. My point here is that Christians who are equally committed to Christ, who are equally committed to the Bible, can view a certain passage different ways. The question is, are we going to break fellowship over differing interpretations? So, the third thing I want to mention here is keep in mind the overall message of the Bible. What are we to do with this Bible we love so much? What are we to do with this Bible that we believe is inspired of God? What are we to do with this Bible that, that is probably most, if not all, of our favorite book? We believe it's different. We believe it's head and shoulders above anything that's ever been written, period, because it's God's Word. What are we to do with that? Well, let's go back to the forest and the trees. Genesis chapter 1 is a tree. And we can camp out. On the tree. Now, let me, just, let me just step back and say, I'm not saying don't do in-depth study of individual passages. We have to do that. We should do that. It's good to do that. That's how we grow. But don't become so obsessed with any individual tree that you and I lose sight of the more important, overall, crucial message of the Bible. Don't get so lost in the trees that you lose sight of the forest. 
The trees are individual passages and verses. The forest is the overall message of the Bible. Well, what is the overall message of the Bible? Now, let me tell you something. If you haven't written down a thing yet, and you don't have to, by the way, but if you haven't written down a thing yet, I hope you'll write down the next things that I'm going to tell you because this is the overall message, the crucial message of the Bible. First of all, God created us. Second, God loves us. Third, in our free will, we sinned and disobeyed God. Fourth, God came to earth. Jesus came. Jesus, God, came to earth to pay the penalty for our disobedience. He came to be our sacrifice, to do for us what we couldn't do. And, and finally, we can have eternal life when we receive Jesus. Now, folks, I just want you to look at those five points right there. Because those five points are more important than any understanding you have of Genesis 1 or Revelation 20, Revelation 20 or Revelation 2 and 3 or Hebrews chapter 6. Those five right there. That's the forest. That's the forest. I don't know technically what is the understanding of Genesis chapter 1. I, I couldn't tell you that my interpretation of Revelation chapter 20 is straight from God. I can't tell you that. I do have very strong opinions about Genesis 1 and 2, and I have very strong opinions about Revelation 20. I have very strong opinions about Hebrews 6. But my opinions are mere interpretations. They are my thoughts on trees, individual trees. But this, that's the forest. So believe in God. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the Bible. But more than anything, believe in the overall message of the Bible because it is most crucial. And be very careful about falling out of friendship and fellowship with someone who disagrees with you or me on a tree. It's not the forest. It's a tree. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, first... I, I want to ask your forgiveness for myself for the times when I treated my opinions and my interpretations on the same level as your word. They're not close, and they never will be. My interpretations never will be close to the caliber of your word. Help us, Lord, to remember the overall message Help us to always take time to back away enough to see the forest. And Lord, help us, to in, help us to examine individual trees. Now, we don't need to ignore those, and we know that, and we know you don't want us to ignore them. But Lord, I still pray that even as we examine individual passages and individual verses, that we always, periodically, will step back 
so that we don't lose sight of that crucial overall meaning that you created us, you loved us, we sinned, Jesus came to sacrifice himself for us, and we can have salvation and eternal life if we receive Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.